here in the book of Job, starting into the last chapter. And as we've been talking to you, this is a book written between the time of the judges and really the time of the kings. Judges were these heroes, these, these people that God raised up before they had kings who would lead the people, who would rescue the people in, in certain ways. But it says in, in the book of Judges, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that's the kind of way that Naomi and her husband Elimelech lived. They had two sons and they went to Moab, a place they shouldn't have gone. They let their sons marry women, Moabite women, that they shouldn't have let them marry. And then the husband dies and the, and the sons die. And here's two, really three widows two from Moab, one from Bethlehem. And they start back to Bethlehem. Then Naomi, thinking better of such a plan, decides to encourage the young ladies to go back. And it's amazing what she says. Go back to your gods and go back to your people. But Ruth refuses and she says, like we just sang, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. And uh, she follows. And that's the name of the series, I Will Follow. But not just about following a person. It really also gives us a picture of how we're to follow Christ. Remember, he called his disciples. He said, follow me. Remember that? Follow me. Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And so she followed. They went back to Bethlehem. And now here is this widow. Here is this, well, these two widows. One young woman that had never had a child, and they, uh, Naomi comes up with a plan, really, not Ruth, but a plan to introduce herself to this man, Boaz, who was, quote, a redeemer. We're going to talk about what that means. And she basically proposes to him. I mean, you think a woman proposing to a man today seems like really Kind of like that, boy, that's really like ahead of the time. I mean, that's really, you know, that's not traditional at all. Well, back that time, that was really something what happened. But you know what? (laughs) He accepted. But there were, he couldn't just go ahead with it. There were rules he had to follow. In this passage of Scripture that God has deemed fit to put in the Bible is all about following certain rules, going by what you should go by, going by the the laws of the land, the laws of Israel, and doing things appropriately. And as much as I studied that, I realized I just couldn't get around that. I mean, God put that in there for a reason. So we're going to talk about following the rules today. And when I realized this months ago I was going to preach on this, I thought, oh, brother, uh, I don't like following rules. Now, I've got to preach about following rules. But the more I've studied this, the more I've realized that there's something really good here. There's something really wonderful here that we need to hear. And particularly, I think us. We talked last Sunday, we're a community of grace. We emphasize grace. But some people, there's some people who look at those like us who emphasize grace, who say that we're antinomian. Say, what is that? What's antinomian? It's a word that was termed by Martin Luther, the reformer, 500 years ago. And he said that he was accused of that and that 
people who thought the way he did would be accused of that. And antinomian means anti-against. Nomian means law. Against the law. That we're against the law. That we say, hooey, it's no use of these rules. There's no use of these laws. Why, why are we even there? We live by grace. We're forgiven. What, what's the deal with the law? And so Luther and others uh, used up a lot of ink trying to describe what are the uses of the law. Why are there rules? How do we understand that? Because if, if you read the Bible very long, you realize there's a lot of stuff there that God says, do this and don't do that. Why is that there? So we're going to talk about that this morning in four ways. First of all, rules reveal God's love. Secondly, rules reveal God's holiness. Thirdly, rules reveal our need for a redeemer. And then fourth, we're going to talk about living by the rules, living by the rules. First of all, rules reveal God's love. And I I know that rules can seem like that um, Rolling Stones song, Under My Thumb, you know, that God's putting us under his thumb and saying, no, you can do it, you can do it my way because I'm bigger than you and I can make you do what I want you and you better fear me. That's not the way, that's not the way he gives us these rules. He says, no, I'm a God of love. I'm a God of love. And God shows us his love and his kindness by his law. That may sound crazy to you, but one of these, these laws, we're going to talk about some of these laws. We go back to the Old Testament because this passage talks about Boaz who ends up marrying Ruth. This beautiful, and we're going to talk next time about the end of the story and how it all came together so wonderfully. In this, in this book that sometimes just seems like a mess. But when he wanted to move and he realized he wanted to move toward, and she wanted to be married to him and he wanted to be married to her, he couldn't just do that. He had to follow the rules. And one of the rules in Israel was about something called a kinsman redeemer. We have a passage from Deuteronomy 25, Jonathan's going to put up for you, that gives us, a passage about that. Let me read that um, to you if, if we get that up there. Um, there it is. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother for her. And the First son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother and his name that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. God gave this wonderful rule of the kinsman redeemer. And in Deuteronomy 25, it talks about all kinds of ways that you're going to protect. You're going to protect the hurting. And he said, you're in a family. Um, he had laws about um, if someone murders someone in your family. He had laws about if, someone, if so, someone loses their land, how you can redeem it back. So it's set up that way. So these 
people who are struggling, these people who have needs can be taken care of, that people are covered. And if you go through the Old Testament even, and I know a lot of times people say, oh, the Old Testament's filled with God's judgment and wrath, but the New Testament's filled with God's love. Uh Uh-uh. The Old Testament has tons of God's love. If you put the Old Testament law versus other laws of other lands, you see how fair and how just and how right it was. What about this eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth? Well, you don't understand. In those days, the, the way, the kind of the tribal way people live, if you poke out my eye, I take your life. And people accepted that. They thought that was fine. So there was a fairness in the Old Testament. There was provision for the poor. In the Old Testament, there was justice. There was justice for women. They were fighting sexism and even racism in those days. And in the Old Testament, they expected the people to have a covenant relationship in Israel with each other. In other words, if... Person A borrowed money from person B. Person B was never to charge them interest. It was, they were to see one another as brothers. And we see this law of the kinsman redeemer, really a really strong emphasis on that, that you take care of your brother's family, your brother's dead. And you may not even like his wife, but you marry his wife because you're not going to leave her Again, this is the way you, you love your brother. You're not going to leave her a widow, and you're not going to leave. And this was a big deal back then, not, big, not as big of a deal today, that your name is carried on. Um, so um, it shows God's love. God's rules show his love. But then you see other rules. What kind of God commands you? To have joy. What kind of God says, you know, I'm going to put you under my thumb. Here's your command. Don't worry. Here's your command. Don't be guilty. Here's your command. Don't be bitter. You talk to any counselor and they'll say, those are the three killers. Those are the three things that just destroy people. Anxiety, bitterness, and guilt. And God takes care of all of it. What kind of God is telling you to do that. It's a God of love. I love the way Jeremy Taylor puts it. He said, God threatens terrible things if you will not be happy. This is a God of love who commands your joy. So, the law shows God's love because the law really tells us how to live. And how life works. And so he says, here's the way to, here's the way to live. I'm going to be preaching um, starting in a few weeks from now. Uh, and we're going to have a series to the book of Proverbs. It's going to be a little bit different because it, it's hard to go verse by verse with Proverbs. We're going to go in discipleship, daily discipleship principles from the book of Proverbs. Because we need to know this Christian life shouldn't be like a Sunday thing or like a theological thing. I know, I know all the doctrines. It should be like every day. It should be the way I wash my car or, you know, the way I drive. I didn't like this series, this, I mean, this, uh, this, this sermon on obeying the rules because I mean, one of the rules is the speed limit, you know. I mean, even ridiculously low speed limits, 
you know, God says, okay, no, follow the rules. And if you did the weekly study, you know we took you to places like Romans 13 that says, obey the authorities God's given you. And it's really, it's really such a better way to live. Why? Because he's a God of love. But rules also reveal God's holiness. If you've read Isaiah 6, you know this, and you know this from the old hymn that, that we sing sometimes. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the, that's the term used. And that word, holy, literally means separate. There's one theologian that called God the holy other, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy other. That particular theologian said some really dumb things too. But there, there's, there's, a, there's a point in the holy other. There's something we need to remember about that. That God is like really holy. He's really pure. And the Bible uses the laws sometimes to help us see you know, yeah, here's the best way to live and here's God's standard, but you can't live up to it. I think the Sermon on the Mount is really part of the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is given to show us that. Jesus said, you know, I know it's written, I know it's written, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, if, you've, if you think adultery, if you think, if you lust, you've already committed adultery according to God. I'm sure that people were pretty startled by that statement, who thought that they were pretty pure people, and then all of a sudden, they became big sinners. You know how much you think? They say that about 1,300 words a minute go through your mind. A minute. I mean, our minds are going super fast. And God says, bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What? We're all, right now, just from that one statement, guilty. I mean, really guilty. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus also messed something up because I mentioned the eye for the eye and tooth for the tooth thing in the Old Testament. Jesus said, well, here's what I'm saying to you. Here's what I'm saying to you. Love your enemies. If someone persecutes you, pray for them. Someone wants to take your shirt Give him your cloak also. Someone forces you by Roman law, they could force him to carry a pack for a mile. He said, you go two miles. And I, I'm sure that people were scratching their heads and going, what, are you crazy? If someone slaps me on my cheek, a tremendous insult. You ever been slapped? It's not fun. It makes me mad. And then turn the other cheek and say, go ahead, slap the other, you know, and not like in sarcasm, you know, but slap the other cheek and to take it and not to respond back. Jesus, you know, Jesus is saying here, yeah, this is the way I want you to live. It's be a really good way to live. But how many of us are really successful at that? <laughs> and so the law reveals reveals God's holiness. I remember uh, um, Peter um, coming to Jesus. Back then, and you need to understand, the rabbis at that time, they would discuss these issues, debate and discuss to death. And there were different camps. You know, the Sadducees and the Pharisees had different beliefs about some things. And he said, you know, the the most really radically spiritual people at that day said, 
If someone forgives you, because they would try to quantify everything, like how much you have to do have everything. So he said, if, you, if someone, uh, someone sins against you, how often do you forgive them? I mean, really, I mean, you know, let's not get carried away with this forgiveness thing, but you need to forgive some. And the most radical one would say, forgive them seven times. And so Peter, really thinking he was being magnanimous and spiritual and thought Jesus would probably say, man, Peter, wow, you're spiritual. He comes and he says, Jesus, if someone, you know, pops me in the nose, you know, and asks me to forgive him, how many times am I supposed to forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said, no. I'm sure when he said no, Peter thought, oh, it's probably three or four or something. He said 70 times seven. I'm sure Peter went away scratching his head. You know, how many are you going to count like over 100 times that you've forgiven? So you know, at that, you could say, well, I just might as well just keep forgiving them because I don't, it's, it's easier to forgive them than to keep count, you know. So I'll just keep forgiving them. So the point is, God is holy, holy, holy. He's pure. He's loving. He's, he's a lot higher than us. So the Bible gives us this thing of God's love and God's holiness. And that really goes to our third point, and that is that rules reveal our need for a Redeemer. I mentioned to you in um, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5-7, through 7, and that was one of the things that God used to lead me to the truth of Jesus. Because at the end of Matthew 5, when Jesus says, you've been told this, but this is what I say, you've been told this, but this is what I say, showing the really high standards of God, the very last verse in that chapter, Matthew 5, says... Uh, be perfect, even as my Father in heaven is perfect. I remember when I kind of got that and really took it seriously, and I wanted to be right with God, but I knew I, it just knew in my heart I wasn't, and I was trying to figure this stuff out. I really felt like I was falling off the side of a building. You know, you can't get your breath, like, perfect? I've got to be, to go to heaven, I've got to be perfect? God, you know, lets us go through a little bit of misery. The point is to show us that we actually need a Redeemer. We need a Redeemer. And we see this all through the Bible. James called the Bible a mirror that shows us ourselves. Galatians, the book of Galatians called the Bible, called the law, a tutor that leads us to Christ. And this tutor says, okay, bring every thought captive, love everybody, forgive everybody, and you go, I can't do it. The tutor has to get you to that point. I can't do it. I can't do it. He says, now, my son, you're ready. Now, my daughter, you're ready. Here is something really good. The Redeemer. Peter, in, in, in Acts 15, was, uh, they were debating about Gentiles. Do Gentiles who become Christians need to be circumcised? I mean, that was a really strong debate. And... Uh, and, and, you know, and, and, uh, you know Paul and, and, and Barnabas, uh, they felt like, no, they don't need to be circumcised. And uh, so there are people saying, but people got to keep the law. They got to keep the law. They got to keep the law. And Peter says, look, we can't keep the law. What are you, crazy? We can't keep the law. We've never been able. How are we asking them to keep the law? We can't keep the law. So, okay, let's have them do this and that. But the point was, we can't keep the law. God's given us this law, but we can't keep it. 
we can't fulfill the requirements. We can't pass the course, like the, the video said. Um, so we need, we need a Redeemer. We need Jesus. And it's interesting that this word that's used in um, Ruth, the kinsman Redeemer, it's, uh, it's a Hebrew word. And um, that, uh, when it's translated into um, Greek, it's all, of course, Redeemer, and it's used about Jesus. It says in 1 Peter, you are redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. In Exodus 6.6, 6, here's an example of that word, gael, um, the, the, the Hebrew word. I am the Lord. I will bring you out, of, uh, out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem, there's that word, you with an outstretched arm. See, the word that was used about Boaz, the word that was used that he would, this woman who had all this bad stuff going on in her life, he said, I'm redeeming you. You're now, you're mine. I'm going to take care of you. Um, and they, they had children together. Um, that's what is done for us. See, we were married to somebody. You say, what? I've never been married. Well, no, you've been, because God says spiritually who you give your love to, who you depend on, who you really are looking to. Maybe it's, you know, for some people it's alcohol. For some people it's self-image. For some people it's their job. Some people it's their money. It could be anything. And God allows you to see that you're married to a corpse. It's not good enough. It's not going to do it. God lets you see that the wages of sin is death. He lets you see your bad, your estate, and it's not good. And that you're a mess. And he says, you know what? Your husband, your spouse is dead. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to make you mine. That spouse couldn't really take care of you. Be really honest. That idol, that idolatry can't really take care of you. I will. And he is a kinsman redeemer. In other words, in the Old Testament, it had to be someone that was a kin. Now, Boaz was not uh, you know, the brother of Ruth's um, husband. But he, so he, there was no legal obligation that he had, but it fit under the spirit of the law. A kinsman redeemer. Jesus is a kinsman redeemer because he came to earth 2,000 years ago and was born and lived a human life becoming, in a sense, our brother. Becoming related to us, close to us as a kinsman. And he has become a redeemer because he died on the cross and paid for all of our sins and rose again to show that the check cleared. And offers eternal and abundant life. As we come to the Lord's Supper, this is such an inter- important aspect of it because in the way we, I know different churches do different things, you don't have to be a member of this church to partake of that, the Lord's table. What we're saying here is that when you take in uh, the bread and the grape juice, it symbolizes, it doesn't become, but it symbolizes the the body and blood of Christ. In other words, it symbolizes that we have taken him into our lives as our personal Lord and Savior. 
it symbolizes that it's free and we're not paying for it and that we get something. He gives, we get. And uh, I love that it's kind of like God has given food as the, because food is a great satisfaction to our hunger. And that's going to be a little piece of bread. It's not going to really satisfy much. But the idea is there. He's a kinsman redeemer. So here's the question, and this is the last point of my sermon. Okay, well then what about rules? Living by the rules. Because I, I, I just believe there's great freedom in living by the rules. But how do we think about this? If we can't really live up to them, and they lead us to Christ, they're the tutor to lead us to Christ, how, how are we supposed to think about rules? I'm going to give you four points. I'm going to give this on a card to you, so as you leave, the FI team will be giving you these blue cards. But here's four I want to go over really quickly so we can have the Lord's Supper. Um, number one, view rules as love, not legalism. View rules as love, not le- As long as you view those as you're under God's thumb, as you think, well, that's just legalism, you're, n- you're not going to have any in- inclination at all. But as you realize, God's given that crazy 30-mile-an-hour speed limit out there for my blessing. God has given... Some of these things that just seem arbitrary. Okay, but I'm going to follow those. And there's some, something that wells up into us, and it's called joy as we follow those. It's a great freedom in living by the rules. Little children did this study, educational study. They were seeing how kids are, play best and everything. They put them out in this open field, just totally open, everything. Open field, kids are out there to play, and they're all kind of huddled together kind of weird but they're all kind of together then they put a group of kids in an open field but there's a fence around it and the kids are playing but a lot more freely within the fence they're they're spread out a lot more why is why is that they have more they have a lot more space in the open field it's because now they knew there were boundaries and there's something in us that knows we we need boundaries don't we and there's a lot of freedom in boundaries. Uh, so remember that God has given us rules um, because he loves us. And in following that um, really is a great joy to us. Secondly, become obedience-oriented, not feeling-oriented. It's just a different way of doing life. So many times we live by our feelings. And I'm not saying to be robot, robots and be automated and all that, that you know, totally not have any feel. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying it's easier to, one person put it this way, it's easier to act yourself into a better way of feeling than to feel yourself into a better way of acting. And so many people today try to feel themselves into a better way of acting. I just want to feel better. I just want, I'll do better when I feel better. But if I say, Lord, I'm going to be obedience-oriented. I'm yours, your Lord. I'm living as yours. I don't really feel like doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway because you're boss, and I know you love me. I don't feel like that, but you love me. We find ourselves rejoicing. But if we are waiting until we're happy, until we feel better before we're going to start being obedient to the Lord, many times um, it just gets worse and worse. Thirdly, let the rules lead you to the Redeemer. You know, you may be here today and you say, I don't understand. When you see all these rules, when you're reading the Bible and you see these things, 
And you go, what is with that? How in the world does someone... You know, some of the things I share with people in in, um, situations about, like, for instance, bitterness is a real problem people have. And what God calls us to do, he says, you know, if someone hurts you, you know, you go do, try to do something nice for them. And they're like, they look at you like you're crazy. Um, Understand that that's to lead you to the Redeemer, that God has these rules so you'll see your need for Jesus. And then finally, keep your eyes on Jesus. In other words, and this I talk about this all the time, but I just need to repeat it. We are relationship-oriented, not rule-oriented. It is about our relationship. So don't, as much as I'm saying live by the rules, don't let the rules be your focus. Let Jesus be your focus. He is our motivation. We need to keep going back again to the gospel. That, you know, if you obey the rules or not, God loves you. If you obey the rules or not, he's your daddy and he cares for you. Yeah, is he going to lead you to follow those rules? Absolutely. But he still loves you. And when you remember that, you have that motivation to really follow him and to live by the rules. As we come now, prepare for the Lord's table. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask after I pray for the elders to come up to help us get ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have blessed us so much, and thank you for the rules. Sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes it's not fun. It's not exciting to talk about. But Lord, thank you for the fact that you, you have given us a way to live that makes so much sense. And it's not to put us under your thumb, but it's because you love us. And you're showing us your love by showing us the right way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.